Big news from the MedVed Show. We just added a 50% off opportunity to an annual basic MedHead subscription. That makes it $29.95 a year. It breaks out to just $2.50 per month. Promo code MEDHEAD. Go to michaelmedved.com and promo code MEDHEAD. And now, your daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. And what a great day it is to go into the weekend. Another great day for the stock market. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's uh, Dow Jones up 234 points. The S&P up toward new records at uh, 65 points up. And the NASDAQ even more than that. So with all this economic good news, does that explain the shock poll yesterday that people are still trying to digest? It's a poll where even over at Fox News, they indicated that uh, showing Biden leading Trump nationwide by six points, the trends may be changing. And as a matter of fact, uh, there's a lot of discussion about, okay, what happens next for the Trump campaign during a period of time when he is going to have to be rolling directly into some of the courtroom confrontations that are going to be part of his life for the next several months at least, perhaps even for the next several years. Uh, does that help him politically? Uh, the assumption has been from many Republicans, and I think from Trump himself, that the more indictments he has, the more accusations, the more negativity, the more people are going to rally around him uh, on the Republican side of things. But uh, is that going to be enough? to allow him to win the presidency. Uh, there's a piece by Jennifer Rubin uh, in Washington Post uh, talking about the need to have a plan B if Trump is not the nominee and the plan B may not be Nikki Haley. There is a great deal of focus right now on how poorly Nikki Haley did in the uh, last uh, Quinnipiac poll and about her problem talking about race, which is uh, a very, for somebody who is a person of color, and technically she is a person of color, uh, she is Indian American. Both her parents were born in India. They're both naturalized American citizens. With, with all of that going on, um, and uh, a Trump facing the challenges he's facing, what is the plan B for the Republican Party? And what about that plan B on the border deal, uh, where a, a number of conservatives are speaking out about that more clearly, partially because that deal would also solve some of the immediate problems regarding uh, Ukraine and the difficulties there. We're also going to be speaking uh, this hour with Sam Canones, who is somebody who's written a great deal about America's drug crisis and about the fentanyl crisis in particular. And he has a completely convincing uh, editorial 
that talks about, hey, it's about time uh, that we realized that for years and years and years, people said we don't have a drug problem uh, because of uh, the supply of drugs. We have a drug problem because the demand for drugs and there are always going to be drugs flowing across the border as long as the demand is there. Well, he says, no, the problem is the supply and the problem is the Mexican drug cartels that are supporting by Chinese interests who send the uh, material to Mexico so it can be made there. Uh, this is a uh, remarkable insight and by the way I think a, a very much needed dose of realism for people who actually want to do something about the uh, fentanyl crisis. We're also going to be speaking later in the show to Michael Rubin of AEI about the Middle Eastern conflicts, the uh, U.S. plans to strike Iran, how and when should we be talking about that, and uh, uh, also the uh, ongoing talk uh, about Biden trying to structure a whole new architecture for the Middle East and relationships there on the way toward a two-state solution. Is that two-state solution at all plausible as a means of guaranteeing security to all the peoples, Israeli as well as Palestinian in the Middle East. We will get to that. And uh, there's a big new movie uh, released today, a very elaborate all-star cast, uh, humorous spy thriller. It's called Argyle. Is it worth uh, your investment of your time and your money? We will give you a review of that film. And one of those Oscar-nominated films, nominated for five Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Actress and Best Director, it's a, a French movie. Uh, it is called Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, if you haven't heard anything about it, you almost surely will with the Oscar ceremonies coming up. We're going to give a full review of that film as well on the Medved show. 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. Uh, just to get back a little bit to this shocking poll, and it was a shocking poll because it showed a, um, a, a tremendous switch from a, a tied race, a race where uh, back in December, uh, Biden had a very narrow lead over Trump. He had a one-point lead, uh, and uh, that has gone to a six-point lead for Biden. Uh, he's uh, beating Trump by 50 to 44 percent. What is that about? A lot of people point to the improvements in the economy, but not everybody agrees with that. People still give Biden negative ratings for the economy. Uh, what it is clearly most dramatically about, and it's just an astonishing thing to think about it, is the, uh, the difference between men and women. They used to call this the gender gap. Now, of course, um, Donald Trump uh, does better among uh, men than he does among women. But the difference is just staggering uh, because with, uh, with men, Trump has an edge on Biden, 53 to 42. Pretty big edge. But among women, it is uh, just jaw-dropping. 
And among women, Biden has 58 percent. Trump has 36 percent. That's a 22 point difference. And what it means is since December, for some reason, uh, Trump's support has fallen from 41 percent among women, which was never great. That's not going to win you an election but has fallen all the way down to 36%. That means two-thirds of America's women are not going to vote for Donald Trump. Now, some of them are scattered out for third and fourth and fifth party candidates. Yes, there's some female support for Jill Stein and there's some female support for Robert Kennedy Jr. But no, it's uh, for women today... Uh, 58% to 36% for Trump. For Trump to have only 36% of women, there is no conceivable way that he can win the election if he doesn't get more than 36% of the female vote, partially because women vote uh, more than men do. There's another factor here. And it's a factor that relates to some of the problems that Nikki Haley is having in the campaign. The uh, uh, Democrats, and uh, this is really shocking, are almost unanimous in saying they support Biden. You know how many Democrats say they support Trump? Two percent. Okay, <laughs> it's 96% for Biden, 2% for, for Trump. But you expect that, that's Democrats. But the Republicans, it's 91% for Trump and 7% for Biden. Now that difference between uh, Biden getting 7% of the Republicans, Trump getting uh, 2% of the Democrats... That's another difference that is here very directly. And what about the economy? Is the rising economy going to continue this trend toward Biden? We will talk about that. Big news from the Medved Show. We just added a 50% off opportunity to an annual basic Medhead subscription. That makes it $29.95 a year. It breaks out to just $2.50 per month. Promo code MEDHEAD. Go to michaelmedved.com and promo code MEDHEAD. Entertain your brain. You know, sometimes I think you're insane. Every day on the I'm trying to come back to sanity following the uh, slogan of Make America Sane Again, which uh, is, uh, it seems to me, a very noble ambition and one that uh, we should be pursuing. Um, One of the things that uh, is uh, extraordinary and makes you a little bit crazy out there is the news from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, The U.S. again saw more than 2.5 million cases of uh, sexually transmitted infections in 2022. That's the last year they have numbers for. That's fueled by a continual and alarming increase in syphilis cases. That, according to the most recent data, 
for from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, again, given the fact that we can prevent transmission of syphilis pretty reliably, uh, syphilis is treatable today. It is not the the gruesome death sentence that it used to be. But the fact that, that, that this is increased in the United States uh, and continues to be increasing is a very real problem. Uh, there is good news on the uh, uh, health front, which uh, Time magazine is highlighting that the latest COVID-19 vaccine to a new report in the MMWR, a journal published by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC. It is the first effectiveness data for the updated uh, vaccine, which was released last fall. And uh, the team of CDC scientists uh, compared people's COVID-19 test results to their self-reported uh, vaccination status. In any event, the results underscore public health advice to get vaccinated, especially for people at higher risk of complica complications from COVID-19, such as the elderly, pregnant people, and those with underlying health conditions. Uh, look, one of the things that I think they're very careful of, even in this uh, good news, which is highlighted in a fairly lengthy piece in Time magazine, is not to oversell what the vaccines can accomplish. The va vaccines can actually improve your chances of uh, being seriously, seriously sick or with a life-threatening case of COVID-19 or uh, simply avoiding it altogether. It, it is not a guarantee that everything will be fine and happy for you, but it increases your chances of health and life. So why not? Uh, and and this, uh, especially it is shocking that given the fact that they uh, have had the pretty good indications from these new vaccines, it is still a minority of Americans who have gotten them uh, partially because of doubts that have been planted from uh, various sources. Uh, this, um, this issue uh, is, is one that uh, actually does involve part of the sense that America is in deep decline. Uh, there is a piece today by uh, a professor emeritus at the Kennedy Center at Harvard University about American declinism and about the history of so many times in the past, even at times when America was doing very well, there was a sense that we were in decline. In 1979, and I remember this, they, uh, they had a piece, and this is three years after the bicentennial, the 200th anniversary of our country. They had a cover of Time magazine where they had a picture of the Statue of Liberty and the torch was down and the Statue of Liberty was weeping and it was all about American decline in 1979. Now, that was right before Ronald Reagan was elected and uh, we had eight remarkable years under President Reagan where, no, everything wasn't perfect and there was a economic hardship at the beginning of those eight years. But it was turned around and there was a sense of mourning in America. And it was those eight years that helped us win the Cold War. 
speaking of war, uh, the Yoav Gallant, who is the defense minister of Israel, has signaled that Israeli ground forces could advance on Rafah, that is right near the Egyptian border with Gaza. This is one of the last southern Gaza cities that Israeli ground forces have not yet reached, raising concerns in a corner of the enclave where hundreds of thousands of people have crowded for shelter from uh, the war. Uh, Meanwhile, a great deal of talk about President uh, Biden uh, pushing uh, very hard, and it's a political matter, and in addition to everything else, uh, one of the key states for Biden to carry if he is going to win this election, and he knows this, is Michigan. 16 electoral votes. He won Michigan last time by 150,000 votes. Uh, Trump, when he won Michigan against Hillary Clinton, he won by 10,000 votes. It's been very close. The other thing about Michigan is that there are 200,000 Arab Americans who live there. And uh, they apparently are uh, very angry at President Biden for uh, his support for Israel uh, during uh, this Gaza war. So, of course, there's a political stake for Biden not only to turn around the way that America feels about the economy, but to try to address that segment of his own party, uh, the Democratic Party, uh, that voted for him last time, uh, in particular the Arab-American community, which is substantial in Michigan and really around the country. Uh, That is something that Biden also is attempting to do. Uh, There is um, uh, also... uh, this dramatic uh, announcement that along with the other economic good news, uh, America is now the largest oil producer in the world. And this despite some of the policies of the Biden administration that have not been in favor of uh, the drill baby drill. Uh, The U.S. is surpassing Russia's 9.5 million barrels a day production rate and well ahead of Saudi Arabia's daily production rate of 9.1 million barrels a day. What's really terrific about this is that people are at least putting aside, you remember there used to be this, this liberal focus on Uh, peak oil, that we were going to reach a point where we would take all the oil out of the ground. There are only so many uh, decayed dinosaurs that can actually create the fossil fuels. Well, there's another question of supply, and it's a supply not of oil, it's a supply of fentanyl. Sam Quinones, who is an expert on addiction and drugs, uh, has a new column saying that the fentanyl crisis is not being driven by a demand. It's being driven by supply. What can we do about it? We'll be talking to Sam Canones coming up on the MedVan Show. Here's a special discount, 50% off just for being a MedHead annual member. This is a big deal. Join today at michaelmedved.com. the kind of headline you don't want to read. Uh, The headline says Seattle Morgue struggles to store bodies amid fentanyl overdose surge. In 2023, last year, King County 
county that Seattle is in, of course, recorded over 1,100 deaths due to opioid and stimulant overdoses. Out of that 1,100, 1,073 were due to fentanyl. It is a deadly plague in the country. Sam Quinones, a journalist, storyteller, former L.A. Times reporter, author of four acclaimed books of narrative nonfiction, his most recent book is The Least of Us, True Tales of America and Hope in the Time of Fentanyl and Meth. That was released back in 2021. He has a new column in the Washington Post that says that the fentanyl crisis is being driven by supply, not demand. Now, if you're right on this, uh, Sam, I... Uh, it means uh, very serious changes in the way of our thinking and the way of our acting in regards to this fentanyl epidemic. Why is it so significant to recognize that this is actually being driven by supply and not just by demand? It's driven by what's available and not just what people want. Well, I, I think it's important because it does require different ways of, of addressing it. If that's the case, and I do believe that's the case, um, and, and it, it, it requires a, a, a greater uh, focus on community response, a wide variety of responses, which I don't think we're using at the moment. And I think you can see this primarily on the West Coast. You're not finding uh, law enforcement really much of the part of the issue, part of part of the, the solution. And certainly, law enforcement um, is, I think, fentanyl is requiring law enforcement to be part of the uh, of, of the solution. And uh, jail is being used very effectively in some parts of the country. Um, again, though, this is an, uh, all about the enormous quantities flowing in from Mexico that are um, uh, unrelenting. And that's the, the other thing, that it's just like this, uh, uh, just like a new high tide of drugs, not, not a, a wave of drugs, it's a new high tide. And I think that that is really um, something also people need to get there. Their minds around. I think what, what we've been using up to now are ideas that um, of, of correspond to another era in drugs. The idea that you can be on the street until you are ready uh, for treatment. No one is finding readiness for treatment on, on the street. They're dying uh, before they do that. Uh, finding a readiness for treatment is very, very important if it's to succeed, but it's where you find that, where you nurture that. And on the street, it's just not happening on the contrary, you're finding lots and lots of people refusing treatment. Why would they be doing that? Because fentanyl in the vast supplies that, they, that, that are being uh, shipped into this country are driving people's tolerances to enormous new heights. And that is making getting off fentanyl terrifying to those, to those, same, to those same people. Again, it's about a, it's a, this is a supply story, as I said in that column. And I think we need to address it as, as a supply problem, um, as much as, as, as demand. Up to now in, in the United States, we've dealt with drugs as if uh, demand were kind of the, the, the spark to all this. And I don't, I've, I've been doing this a long time, but writing and doing interviews and covering this as a reporter for a long time. And I, one of the things that really changed was my, my, my belief that this is not so much about demand, it's about supply creating the, the demand. And then, you know, that you get that circle. Yeah, I mean, what's remarkable in in your piece, uh, you make the point that there are many people on the street 
who uh, turned down treatment because they'd rather give up life than give up fentanyl. Uh, because the addiction is so very powerful. Uh, What do you say to those people who look at a column like yours, which no one can can read this column and just dismiss it. It is extremely hard-hitting and very important, and we've posted it on our website at michaelmedved.com. People say, well, wouldn't this just bring back the old war on drugs? And uh, to emphasize the... um, supply of drugs rather than the demand, uh, doesn't this basically just call for a crackdown by law enforcement and and sending some people to jail? And you're very candid about that. Sometimes people need to be in jail because it's their only hope of saving their lives. Exactly. And sometimes people need to be in jail because they're uh, transporting large amounts of this stuff. I just read a piece about a, a, a vast haul of uh, liquid heroin caught in, in Oregon uh, and the judge magistrate uh, four people caught doing this uh, from Sinaloa Mexico and um, the judge magistrate gave two of them um, you know released them two of them and I was just like what are you, what are you doing? Uh, these people be- belong in jail as they await their trial um, I do believe though that yes that jail is also a place has long been a place where where people come to sobriety. I've met so many people in my in- interviews and travels across this country who say the best day of my life is when I was arrested because it got me away from the drug and I, I marked my sobriety from the day I was arrested. Now, jail can also be a very life-mangling thing. It's not, we don't do it very well in the United States. However, there are, there are places in the country that are experimenting with new ways of doing jail beginning with an arrest, of course, you have to arrest somebody, but then there's a whole series of services and, 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 and procedures that, that turn jail into a kind of a place of recovery, which is really a, a quite exciting to see, and I've seen this. Uh, what jail uh, does okay. do, uh, right jail now, does is, do it, is it gives, a place, gives us a place to put people where they cannot leave when the drugs tell them that they must. So you have a period of blessed relief from the street dope, where your brain can heal, where your body can heal, and then you begin recovery in jail. And then, of course, on the outside, there needs to be services as well. And this is being tried in, in, in counties and different parts of the country. Uh, right on the West Coast, though, it's viewed as some kind of a continuation of the drug war, which it emphatically is not. Okay, part of the problem here is that there is a whole national movement to decriminalize drugs in general. I mean, in, in Oregon, they went almost all the way with that. What, uh, what you're suggesting is that when it comes to saving people's lives and preventing the further saturation and distribution with these street drugs, uh, that it's, it's necessary to not only look at the people who are drug dealers, but the uh, question of drug use being uh, interfered with by the government, by the law enforcement authorities, in order to save lives and to reduce this epidemic. Yes, and and the reason for that is because, as I said, fentanyl, particularly uh, as well as the combination of fentanyl and methamphetamine, which is also just as prevalent, coming out of Mexico. Both of these are synthetic drugs made with only chemicals, which is why they can be made in such enormous quantities. People are, are simply 
turning down treatment when you offer it to them or when they opt into treatment saying, yeah, I'm worn out, I need off. They, two or three days later, they're back on the street because they can't take it anymore. The, the idea is that if you leave people on the street, they will die. There's no such thing as a long-term fentanyl user. They will all die. And so the idea is that this is a, a form of compassion, really, in a time of fentanyl. That's what putting people in jail actually is. It's a form of compassion to say, we understand that you cannot beat this alone. And you need to be away from it for, for a good long time. And jail is a place where you can't leave when the drugs tell you that you, that you must. Um, okay, the, on the, the street, the piece, you just don't the have piece. the time for the readiness to, to before fentanyl kills you. Before meth drives you mad and fentanyl kills you, you just simply, there's just simply no time. There was heroin. heroin okay, you could uh, Sam, uh, people should go directly to michaelmedved.com. Uh, read your opinion piece from the Washington Post and learn something about this crisis our country is facing. Uh, go to michaelmedved.com. Sam Canones, thank you for your contribution. We will be right back. And down in Portland, they have declared a fentanyl emergency. An emergency. Why? Because just sit down for a moment, wherever you are. Uh, Maybe you're sitting already. But uh, they found out that over the last four years, the uh, number of fentanyl deaths in uh, Multnomah County, the county in in Oregon where the city of Portland is located, by far the biggest county uh, by population in the state of Oregon, the... uh, rate of deaths by fentanyl overdoses has uh, arisen by 533%. That's in four years. That means it rises more than 100% each year. And, I mean, that is extraordinary and extraordinarily depressing and disappointing. And it's obviously one of the biggest issues there should be one of the biggest issues inspiring our politics because the uh, the destructive nature of uh, each of those addictions of the spread of the fentanyl and meth addiction is is almost unspeakable and this must be a part of the political agenda that's particularly at a time when uh, there is good news on the economy and it may in fact be having a real and immediate political impact. Uh, Over at CNBC, uh, Rick Santelli, uh, who is an anchor there, uh, reacted over the new January jobs report which he described in effusive terms. There were 353,000 Job, jobs added in the month of January. That was, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, that is well above expectations. Here's how Rick Santelli responded to it on CNBC Clip 9. In a couple of seconds, the first jobs report 
Jobs, Jobs, Jobs of 24 is out, and it is Whopper 353,000. 353,000. We have to go in the Wayback Machine. That is the biggest non-farm payroll gains since January of 23, when it was 472,000. And if we look at the unemployment rate, it is 3.7. It's remained at 3.7. And just for history's sake, uh, the 3.4 low that we had uh, was the lowest since 1953. That was in April of last year. If we look at the average hourly earnings, a huge jump up six tenths of a percent, up six tenths of a percent. Uh, it, it equals March of 22. Uh, to find a higher number, you have to go to January of 22. And also, for some context there, uh, the amount of year over year is also popping 4.5%. We're expecting 4.1. Okay. The economy is growing, it's humming along, and it leads people like my friend Larry Kudlow, who uh, I've, I've known and worked with for more than 50 years. It's shocking. But Larry Kudlow uh, admits that he was wrong when he had been predicting for months, actually, uh, a, the arrival of a recession. This is clip 10. I was kind of enjoying. Who else am I going to talk to about me- the economy? <laughs> <laughs> I was. I mean, my mea culpa. I was wrong about the slowdown in the recession. So was the entire. I don't think you were wrong. Forecasting for the Well, the Fed. The, everyone was wrong. Okay. Okay. Um, again, uh, people were wrong. We're not in the midst of a recession. There is an expectation that with inflation coming down, we may even have the extra juice for the economy uh, through a lowering of interest rates. Uh, this is uh, actually one of those uh, moments when Maria Bartiromo, who is very friendly to President Trump, she's a big supporter of President Trump on Fox News, uh, she spoke to President Trump about, um, well, wait a minute, uh, what's going to happen to your use of the economic issues uh, to win the presidency? Uh, this is clip 14. The Biden team can say, well, if things are so bad, how come the stock market's on a roll? Because they think I'm going to be elected. That you think the stock market's rallying because people think you're going to I be do, yeah. If you take a look at Iowa, if you take a look at New Hampshire, the stock market's been going crazy since then and, and long before then. When I, when I announced I was running, I took the lead early, and then I beat everybody, including Ron DeSantis. I call him DeSantis, now I took the other names. Okay, uh, the idea that uh, the stock market depends upon uh, how well... Donald Trump is doing um, it's it's kind of tough to track any correlation to that at all and <laughs> if if Trump is going to claim credit because he's doing well if uh, the stock market goes down is he going to take responsibility that's because he's doing worse in terms of uh, uh, the uh, polling. Uh, as a matter of fact, if if Trump's theory is right that it all depends on him, 
uh, the way the economy works. Shouldn't the economy have looked at that shocking Quinnipiac poll that came out uh, yesterday, uh, earlier this week? And uh, the market reacted to that Quinnipiac poll and said, oh, my goodness, looks like Trump may not be winning after all. We've got to pull back. Well, the Dow Jones is still up uh, 200 points today. It's going to be another update with a very huge update for the NASDAQ. Uh, the uh, As a matter of fact, uh, talking uh, about uh, what is... Uh, going on in this polling. Uh, at Fox, Peter Ducey uh, talked about what he called a new outlier poll, but that the new outlier poll may show that things are changing politically uh, in response to the economy and to other factors. This is clip 17. Maybe it's an outlier, maybe it's not, but Quinnipiac has Biden up on Trump. Six points, 50 to 44. The Biden team has been trying to pivot to general election mode. They've been focusing on abortion access and on union jobs. And the Trump team has spent the last week or so dealing with his legal issues. This poll does have Haley doing better against Biden than Trump. She has got him, according to Quinnipiac, by 5, 47 to 42 nationally. But this is a matchup that's unlikely to happen based on current polling that puts Trump way ahead of her in primary states that she needs at the moment. And we may also have an answer to the question, who do third party candidates hurt? Ultimately, according to this poll, they hurt Trump because both Biden and Trump lose support when polled against the major third parties. But Biden still wins in this poll. Uh, and if RFK Jr. continues continues playing in 14%, he is certainly going to be a spoiler for one candidate or another because that is a huge percentage of the voting public. Okay, uh, again, you haven't heard that much about RFK Jr. for a while. And the fact that he's still holding at 14%, close to that crucial 15%, uh, the uh, 15% is crucial because that gets him into any debate. Now, Again, people are not at all sure that President Biden is going to agree to any debate. Uh, people are not at all sure that President Trump is going to uh, agree to any debate. Uh, and uh, so what do you do if that's the case? And if uh, RFK Jr. has that 15 percent, does he uh, get up there and stage a debate with two empty chairs? Uh, where he is basically just responding to questions from an audience, which he's pretty good at, by the way. Uh, who knows? Uh, there's also this flashback. In 2020, there were presidential debates. Uh, President Trump canceled one of them, uh, which had to do with uh, COVID because they wanted to do it by Zoom rather than having them face to face because President Trump had COVID. And uh, um, then uh, he didn't want to do the Zoom version, so that one was canceled. But they still had two presidential debates, and one of them sounded like this, talking about the economic impact of politics. It uh, was basically a prediction that the stock market would crash if Biden became president. 
Well, let's hope the stock market continues doing well, because aside from any political impact or how much you want one candidate or another candidate to win, a, uh, a good and flourishing and economically prosperous country is all for the good for those of us who love this greatest nation on God's green earth.